From O'Melveny and Myers, this is the Cram Down Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Cram Down Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Shama, a partner uh, with O'Melveny and Myers. This is a, a special episode for two reasons. First of all, um, for those of you watching, this is a video episode. My apologies ahead of time that you have to actually see us. It's not uh, not how we normally do it, but given the topic of today's episode, we decided a video uh, feature would be really great because the other reason why this is a special episode is because we're turning the microscope on ourselves this time um, and talking to some of our new partners uh, in our Dallas office. Uh, very exciting news, Melvany is expanding into, into Texas and the focus of our, or the hub of our Dallas office is a new restructuring uh, practice or expansion of our restructuring practice, bringing real capabilities uh, to the firm in that geography, uh, which is very exciting. And we wanted to take a little time today, we're gonna keep this one really short, to meet some of our new partners uh, who joined the O'Melveny family. Um, And so today we have Lou Strubeck, Greg Wilkes and Scott Drake. Guys, how are you doing? Welcome to the firm, welcome to the Cram Down. Doing great, thanks. Thanks Thanks for having us. My pleasure, happy to have you guys here, really excited to have you. So we really just wanted to take a little bit of time to introduce you guys to our clients, um, to other firms and and the folks, probably a lot of people you've worked with before, but you know, uh, familiar faces and new places, it's an opportunity to reintroduce yourselves to some people. And so I wanna talk, do something that I'm sure you guys really dislike doing, which is talk about yourselves. Um, you know, maybe <laughs> I know you did a lot of it in the process of joining O'Melveny. And so we're going to, you know, we're going to put you through it one more time. So maybe I'll start with you, Lou, and just talk generally about your practice. Um, what do you specialize in? Because, you know, people hear restructuring and that's like somewhat generic and vague, but obviously what you guys bring is, is, is somewhat unique, both in terms of, um, your experience and, and history, as well as the geography in which you guys practice in. Yeah, sure. So I I think traditionally, um, most of the time in the larger restructuring matters, um, we we tend to represent uh, large creditors, uh, traditional financial institutions historically. Of course, that space has been invaded a little bit uh, lately by some of the um, hedge funds and and, and distressed debt firms. But by and large, we're more on the creditor side of the equation in these cases than we are uh, representing other constituents, although lately we've been on kind of a nice run representing committees in some good-sized cases and got a very large debtor case going on right now, actually probably one of the larger ones in the country. So it's a pretty diversified practice, but for sure the emphasis over the years has been more on the creditor side and and, and really on the um, lender side if you want to drill down a little farther. And Greg, maybe talk a little bit about some of the recent matters you've been working on specifically, because I know you obviously work a lot with Lou, but you also do a bunch of matters on your own as well. So maybe just expanding sure. a little bit on, on Lou's uh, description, talk a little bit about some of the stuff you've been working on. Sure. So um, past two, three years have been spent, uh, two matters for large secured credit. Uh, that was the fulcrum security in both of those cases, one of which was in the uh, oil and gas uh, specter, uh, the other in the hospitality, it was a restaurant chain, uh, took both of those through, did debt for equity swap in, in, in one and emerged um, as the owner of that company, for better, for worse. Uh, and in the second, <laughs> ran a, a uh, post-petition sales process that yielded no bids. So our credit bid was, uh, again, for better, for worse, the winning bid. And we uh, then confirmed a plan of liquidation to kind of wrap everything up. Prior to that, um, for the better part of 10 months was spent representing 
an oil and gas company, uh, you know, in Chapter 11 uh, in Delaware uh, in a very contentious and hard-fought case. Um, you know, we don't get the opportunity to do a ton of debtor side work because we have so many uh, contacts on the lender side, but they're fun when you can get them. So I, I hear both in your, your and Lou's uh, uh, description a fair bit of oil and gas um, and energy. Obviously, that's not surprising given given where you practice. Um, you know, Scott, maybe you could talk a little bit about the you know more broadly the industries that you guys tend to focus on. Um, I know you've you know you're you're a man after my own heart as a litigator, <laughs> um, and so uh, sometimes you get I, I imagine you get brought in on special situations in particular. Uh, so maybe you can cover that as well. Yeah, sure. So the first probably 10 years of my career, I was I was just mainly a commercial litigator uh, doing, you know, commercial litigation for all types of industries, uh, being in Texas quite a bit in, in the energy space, also the healthcare space and just general commercial disputes. And then started working with Lou and Greg on the restructuring side about 10 years ago. And so a practice varies year to year, but it's about half and half as far as pure commercial litigation and bankruptcy. But uh, it, it's a nice um, blend, I think, because uh, some of the cases are less contentious and I don't play a very big role, but a lot of our cases that get fairly contentious, that's, that's where I get more involved. But as far as the industries, um, you know, we see a lot. Our, our practice, although we're based in Dallas, is a, is a national practice. So the cases in Texas a lot of times do uh, tend to be energy focused, but also, as I mentioned, healthcare and a variety of other industries. So we, we get to see a nice mix. And so I think that brings me um, to the next question. Um, and I think it's a logical segue, which is you, you, you guys came over to Melvin and Lou, you were at your prior firm for, for a long time. Um, and so obviously there, you know, needs to have been a pretty compelling reason uh, to, to come here. And it's not just because my winning personality, I'm sure, although I'm sure it played a big role. Um, but um, <laughs> in all seriousness, um, you know, the firm has, has really moved into Texas um, with you guys, with a, with a group in Austin. Um, I think the firm has viewed that as a real market opportunity. Um, and, but from your perspective, what was the draw? What, what, you know, what are the client synergies that you think are achievable? What's the, what is the platform offer that makes it attractive to, to bring over your practice and try to grow it here? Um, because it sort of, it takes two to tango, right? I mean, like we could want to move into Texas all we want, but we need to find the right people to help us execute on that growth strategy. And, you know, you got to find people that believe in it. And so, Maybe, I mean, I know I have my own views um, on why it makes a lot of sense for O'Melveny to be uh, growing in, in, in Texas and specifically in Dallas and Austin, but I'm interested in, in sort of your perspective of it, on, on why, uh, both from a client perspective and just an industry perspective, you thought it made sense to, uh, to make this transition. Yeah, sure. And by the way, your personality had a lot to do with it. <laughs> don't, don't sell yourself short. Yeah, right. But, but I, I think <laughs> there were the a number of... <laughs> there are a number of factors that went into this, um, and, and Greg and, and uh, Scott and I were talking about this before we started the session today, and this is another way of saying we're all getting old practicing law, but we've collectively had 75 years of experience, more than 75 years of experience, um, and all of us have been Texas-based. I mean, we were licensed in New York. The three of us are licensed in New York, and as I think Greg alluded to earlier, we, we have a national practice, but Within the last five or six years, um, there probably is no place 
greater than Houston when it comes to being the epicenter for big complex cases. And, you know, it started off in oil and gas cases, but it's much broader than that now. It's energy cases, it's retail cases, it's, um, you know, all kinds of um, different industries have decided that Houston is a really nice venue to have, and it's because of the way the complex rules work there. But if, if you look at O'Melveny's footprint, I mean, there are wonderful practices concentrated on the West Coast and the East Coast. And until the decision was made to open up offices in Austin and Dallas, there wasn't really a presence in Texas, even though O'Melveny has some long-standing clients that are based in Texas. And the Texas economy continues to become more and more important every year. And there's a big influx of people in Texas and other than New York and California, you know, it is the place to be from a business standpoint. So from our perspective, you know, it was exciting to be able to be part of offices that were opening up in the state where we had spent our entire careers. We thought it was a perfect mix given what O'Melveny already had in New York and California, and we were hoping that we could fill that void in terms of um, stepping up in Texas and taking advantage of, at least for the last three to five years, and I think for the foreseeable future, what's been the most popular venue um, for large complex bankruptcy cases. So I think for all of us, it, it was the perfect opportunity. And again, um, the O'Melveny uh, clientele is mostly creditor-oriented as well. Um, we have a lot of experience with some of the larger financial institutions, uh, hedge funds, distressed debt firms um, in the country. And it just seemed like the perfect platform for us to move over to. So that's point, counterpoint, Greg, do you agree? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I do. I mean, I, I think, you know, from our perspective, um, we all were somewhat reluctant participants. None of us were actively looking to make a change. Um, and then when the opportunity came along to be able to, when we heard that Melvin, was contemplating opening up Dallas office. You know, the opportunity to to work with the caliber of lawyers at O'Melveny and and have a footprint on establishing the culture and 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 nature of the Dallas office was really something that was attractive uh, to us. And and quite frankly, like Lou said, you know, the the mix of clients that O'Melveny had uh, compared to ours uh, was very synergistic, and we just thought it was the natural kind of extension of our practice to make the move. Now, now, the timing is, is interesting because in two respects, one, uh, you, you moved in the middle of a pandemic um, and, you know, we're all sort of dealing with that, although in a weird way, I guess it's not like you had not like we had an existing office there you needed to go into. Right. So it could have been it could have been weirder, I suppose. Right. If you were moving into an existing office, but um, we moved in the middle of a pandemic and we also moved, I think, at a, at a pretty interesting time in the restructuring cycle where. I think for you guys and, and for us as well, you know, 2020, particularly, you know, March to the end of the year was, you know, speaking for myself, bananas, um, where we were really, you know, you know, drinking from a fire hose. Um, and then when the calendar turned, you know, for a whole bunch of different reasons, and, and Greg, I, I, I'm interested in your perspective on this, it's slowed down. Um, it's not a very busy restructuring market. We're fortunate, I think, as a firm and, and as a practice to, to maintain a level of busyness. But I mean, Greg, how do you see the restructuring market? Um, and look, maybe it's a, a good a time as any is to come over when things are kind of in a, in a quieter phase in the restructuring market because you're not, although Lou is going crazy, I know I'm Brazo. So you're, you're, a, you're a notable exception to all of this. But how do you see the market, Greg, sort of like unfolding, um, particularly uh, from your new seat? Well, very broad I question. It's an, 
Yeah, I mean, you say it's an opportune time. It's it's it, it is a bit stressful when you come over in the market tanks and you're looking at your new partners going, no, I promise you, there really is not a lot of work that's out there right now. Um, but you're right. I mean, 2020 was a very busy, uh, incredibly busy time. And then you saw, you know, there were a lot of filings early on. A lot of those companies that filed early on, there was panic. Uh, a lot of those companies were deeply troubled uh, and were going to fail and file anyways. And COVID was kind of the tipping point and everything went in. And then you started to see amongst lenders and even amongst borrowers kind of this, you know, after a few months, okay, we know there's still a lot of things to do, but maybe we'll do an amended extend. You know, what, what are our options? We don't want everything going into bankruptcy right now. It's just too much chaos. And then I think the tipping point was, you know, for us, all of the free money that was coming in from the federal government and others that just made for capital to be freely available for companies. Uh, and that has taken, you know, taken its toll on the bankruptcy, uh, bankruptcy lawyers because when there's free money and there's a lot of willingness to, to extend out deadlines and maturities, that's kind of a, a, a telltale sign that the market's going to be slow for a while. But at some point, and, you know, the market's, you're starting to see this. You're starting to see filings with larger companies. You're starting to see more companies start showing up on watch lists. Um, we're hoping, you know, in the in the restructuring world, my wife always laughs when I start hoping for interest rate increases and all the all these other catastrophic economic events. But I do think you're going to start seeing those things happen. Um, and then sometime in in next year, you'll start seeing the the number of bankruptcies start to really tick up. And we think 2022 is going to be a very busy year. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think where, you know, if, if 2020 was sort of atypical um, with respect to the velocity with which things moved, right, where you sort of have companies where that like, you know, revenues vanished overnight, they didn't plan for it. And all of a sudden, it's, you know, throwing lifelines and panic and, and rush filings and the like, you know, 2021 is sort of atypical, sort of, sort of like a snapback, right, where it's like, you know, atypical in the other direction. I do wonder, um, you know, how much of some of the changes in restructuring will, you know, will persist, right? Are we going to, I mean, you know, we, we could spend a whole other podcast on this, but, you know, things like Zoom hearings, right? Are we going to be doing this more remotely? I mean, one of the, I think, very opportunistic um, possibilities out of uh, having a presence in Houston, excuse me, in Texas, is the judges in Houston being so open to remote hearings and things like that. And, you know, you know, not having to get on a plane and fly for a 15 minute status conference that you can, you know, do on Zoom. Is that going to be a, a regular norm? I think in Houston, it will be. I think Judge Isger and Judge Jones have been pretty clear that they like that. Is that going to be the norm in Delaware? I, I I bet you it will be. I mean, trials and oral arguments and, you know, evidentiary hearings, sure, that will, I imagine, will, you know, go back to being in person. But, you know, I think for smaller stuff, I imagine it's going to be virtual. Are we going to see more 24-hour prepacks, right, where you're in and out um, in a day. I think, you know, the pandemic, I think, brought out a lot of innovation in our practice um, in a good way. And so it'll be interesting to see um, sort of how much of it, um, you know, continues during, you know, when hopefully we emerge from this and we return to a, a somewhat normal uh, business environment where, you know, companies succeed, companies fail, and, you know, that's part of capitalism and how it sort of works in our line of work. Um, the good news is some some clients do face financial trouble these days. It's notwithstanding the market right now. And so, you know, Scott, as a litigator, um, you're sort of used to bailing people out when they get themselves in trouble. Maybe, you know, in a, you know, you have, you have a couple of sort of highlights in terms of the kinds of advice you're giving uh, distressed companies or, or investors these days, excuse me, 
investors in distressed companies these days on how to think about litigation risk, um, you know, I think that'd be really helpful. I think the best piece of advice is if, if a company's facing financial distress or you've got a lender who, who has a borrower facing financial distress, it's, it's don't wait. Um, get your advisors engaged early. Get your lawyers, get your financial advisors and, and get them on board. Because I think, and I, I have no doubt you've seen this too, a lot of businesses and a lot of management, obviously they're... Um, they're the true believers in their business, right? Sometimes it's a company they founded, they're entrepreneurial, or it's just management that's been there. And so they always think with just a little more time or a little bit more money, we can turn this around. And as a result of that, um, they often make decisions or enter into transactions to buy that time that they always think is that sort of last little lifeline that they need. And unfortunately, all too many times it doesn't turn around. But that period, if they end up filing right before the bankruptcy, those are the decisions that are going to be looked at closest and scrutinized the most. And so I think it's really important to have your advisors in place who are independent and can look at a situation with a fresh set of eyes. They're subject matter experts. Um, and to me, that's, that's the most important thing is don't wait until it's too late to get the professionals on board. Yeah, it's almost like half our job is psychologists sometimes, right? Where you have to like, you know, reorient the client um, on, you know, what it is that needs to be done to achieve an objective. And I think you're exactly right. Um, I, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've encountered that where, you know, whatever cognitive bias, you know, a particular person has towards a, it's a company they founded, it's the turnaround plan that they, you know, that they formulated, it's the investment that they made, whatever it is, it's like, you know, just give me one more week, you know, and it's and or, you know, just a little more money, a little more time. And sometimes you, know, you need somebody who's objective, right, who can step outside of it a little bit and give the candid advice that, you know, needs to be said and needs to be heard. And and can't and frankly, I found and I really appreciate the way you framed it, because I think it, I, it's very, um, you know, um, similar to the way I've always thought about it, where it's like, the best advice sometimes is what you don't want to hear, you know, and you got to be, you know, you got to be willing and have the courage or your conviction to, to share it. And, you know, I think the best lawyers are the ones who know their clients well enough to be able to deliver advice that they know the client doesn't necessarily want to hear, but they have to hear. Um, and when you get the client to actually listen to your advice, that's when you're really doing well. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, I want to, you know, I, I was going to, ask each of you like, you know, to list like 20 deals that each of you have worked on, but no one wants to hear that. People don't like to, you know, your bios are on our website. There's deal sheets that are very long. Lou, yours is longer than, than others. That's good. That's, which is great. Um, that's because I'm the oldest. I, I, you know, what? I wasn't going to say it, Lou. Yeah, I, was, right. I was tiptoeing up to the line, but I'm glad you just jumped right over it. Um, <laughs> but um, so I wanted to ask, um, there are some things that are not going to be on your bios um, that I thought maybe some of our our clients and colleagues would be interested in hearing because it, you know, a lot of times um, you're not just hiring a subject matter expert, you're hiring somebody, you're hiring a human being and, you know, it's good to know what the person is like. Um, so Lou, I was told to ask you this question. So I was told specifically to ask you, you know, how would your friends describe you? I was told like you have a very specific answer to this question. I don't know what to expect now. We may need to edit this part out completely, but I really hope we don't have to. <laughs> Well, I think there's a number one, I have a feeling um, we're the source of that 
the question <laughs> came from. But number two, there's probably a big difference between what I would like to think my friends would say about me and what they would really say about me. Um, I hope what they would say about me is that is that I'm genuine, uh, if, if nothing else. And um, and I think I, I I take great pride in that. I, I try to be genuine. I try to be honest. Um, I try to be practical. I think people will tell you I'm a little bit hyper, um, and and that's true. And and I always have been. I can be impatient, but one of the few good things about getting older is I think that it it teaches you patience. And you know you made you made this comment earlier about um, to some extent lawyers turn into psychologists at some point. Um, you know we're always known as counselors too, especially overseas. And I think the, the more my practice evolves, and especially in some of these bigger cases like the Brazos case right now that you mentioned, I find myself being a whole lot more of a counselor when it comes, especially to trying to help um, guide management through what is a very difficult and emotional and, um, you know, a, a time-stealing process. And so I think you kind of have to be empathetic and understand that even though we deal with all these things all the time, like you said, you know, we've got long deal sheets, we've worked on 20, 30, 40 of these deals. Um, in most cases, the management teams we work with and spend a lot of time with, this is the first time they're going through it. And so I think it's really important to help them understand just what's involved. But um, yeah, when it comes to my friends, I, I hope that those things that I said are things that they would think about me, but you're never quite sure, right? So Greg, the question I wanted to ask you was, and I, I was toying with, do we wanna, I don't know if you guys watch White Lotus. I was like, cause one of the questions was like, what do you like to do? Like what books yeah. do you like to read or whatever? I was like, maybe we could just turn this into like a, a TV show discussion, but I realized I just finished it last night and I realized that I could probably spend two hours talking about it and nobody, nobody wants to hear that. Um, but, but Greg, what do you like to do when you're not practicing law? Like what's your, what hobbies do you have? Um, you know, what's, what gives you satisfaction outside of practice of law, which I know well, is I, your primary source of satisfaction. Yeah, well, it is of course, first and foremost travel. Um, okay. but I have, I have two almost 10 year old, uh, twins um boy girl twins and the boy plays uh competitive baseball so uh like it or not what i end up doing most of the time instead of traveling is attending baseball tournaments around uh the state so you know, travel of a sort right travel baseball right? it is travel of a sort <laughs> i i uh it, for better or for worse it's what i it's what i've it's what i've come to love i'll put it that way uh, but travel, uh, you know, Lou and Scott know me for uh, being uh, a wine guy. We, we, we typically go to Napa quite a bit um, in non-COVID years. So those two things. And golf, if I can, although Scott's become a better golfer than me, you know, these days. All right. And, and Scott, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up with you. Um, what, what's your non-lawyer uh, hobby activity of choice that you, that you look forward to the most when you have a spare moment? Well, Greg mentioned golf, but uh, anyone who plays knows the frustration of that game. It's um, it's one you love, but you also hate. Uh, when I'm on the back nine and I'm passing the tennis courts and my round is totally falling apart, I think maybe I should play tennis. I'd be a lot happier. Uh, but in addition to that, um, I, I like to travel, like Greg mentioned, with my family. One of the, my favorite things to do is, is uh, go out fishing with my two sons being out on the water never gets never gets old catching fish or watching them catch fish. Um, the other thing I like to do is I just like to stand over a grill, <laughs> you know, down in Texas, we like our barbecue and our steaks and uh, standing outside grilling, especially during football season. 
Uh, I'm a frustrated uh, Texas A&M fan, but there's always optimism about this year, uh, which I say every year. But this year, I, I really mean it. Um, and uh, also a big basketball fan uh, like the Mavs, too. So those kind of things, especially if I can do them with family or friends, uh, is, is always fun. Well, that's great. The nice thing about adding uh, a presence in Texas is we will certainly improve our barbecue game for sure, because uh, I grew up in Brooklyn and our idea of a barbecue is is drastically different than I imagine yours is. <laughs> well, guys, it's thanks a lot for... more fun barbecuing in the winter than it is the summer. I can tell you that. I Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, this is really great. We're really excited that you guys joined the firm, really excited about the opportunities. And to all of our listeners, um, if you want to get to know uh, Lou, Greg, and Scott a little bit better, um, easy to find us. Please reach out to us. We'll be reaching out to you anyway. Thank you. Thank you for listening to O'Melveny's The Cram Down Podcast. This podcast is a summary for general information and discussion only and may be considered an advertisement for certain purposes. It is not a full analysis of the matters presented, may not be relied upon as legal advice, and does not create an attorney-client relationship between the firm and the listener. Portions of this communication may contain attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Views expressed by guests are their own. Please direct all inquiries regarding New York's rules of professional conduct to O'Melveny & Myers, LLP, Times Square Tower, 7 Times Square, New York, New York, 10036, telephone 212-326-2000.